You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So before I finish that book, this was the title of my message. Uh, just be quiet. Uh, now it's shut your mouth. <laughs> if you're unoffendable, you know, shut your mouth. If, if that's really sensitive, then it's just like, hey, just be quiet. We don't want you, believers, start getting all Jesus on us, start preaching the gospel, think like you're really free. So I was sitting there going, all right, Lord, you know, I knew what I was going to preach out, and then I felt the dial, the thermostat heat up a little bit, and then I started doing some research. 27% of all men are infidelity, 17% of all women. It's a real thing. We're not immune to it just because we go to church. And I'm telling you, I, I, I posted it earlier, but I'll uh, read it right now because it means more than when I posted it, especially because I you know, really got shaken by this book. But this post, as I said, and I pray my son is never the reason someone's daughter is questioning her worth. For you in the back row. And I pray my son, who's six and two, is never the reason someone's daughter is questioning her worth. That's why we do Men's Emerge. That's why I don't care if it's finances, you don't have a trailer, you don't have a sleeping bag, you don't have the money, you don't, whatever it is, we will help you. I will personally buy you a sleeping bag if that's the case. I don't like, you know, to get dirty. Use my shower. And two, toughen up. I'll give out straws afterwards so you can suck it up, but we need you there. It's true. Because being around 2,500 men does something in your spirit. To worship with just men. We'll be grateful for Sunday when we get to come back and hear the women's voice. But for a couple days, we need you just to get real, get with God, and get away. And I'm going to tell you, God's going to transform some men in this house. And when he does, you're going to see what I'm about to talk about. See, I've been going, God, what is going on with our country? God, what is going on in this nation? And I just finished another book, which rocked my world. It's Hard Times Create Strong Men. And the whole premise is, this Greek philosopher said, Uh, Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create hard times. And the cycle repeats. It's a 40-year-old cycle. Just keeps repeating. You go through all history. This guy did a deep dive on history, and it was amazing. Just like the Old Testament is a blueprint, if you want to read an incredible book called The Paradigm, talks about the blueprint of the Old Testament, we're living that blueprint out right now. Gives names, everything. Just puts names in places of old verses, and it's crazy. There is a Jezebel spirit right now over this nation, and we must rise up and pray as a church. This isn't more, you know, I grew up in church, and we didn't know how to pray. I couldn't even lead silent prayer. I've talked about it many, many times, and then when I needed a miracle, listen, in my own heart, revival broke out, and now to see 500 men at all our campuses, and God just showed me that's nothing. You wait and see what I'm going to do at this church. So... To get into it, I looked up what happened. So this book that I showed you earlier uncorked it. So then I looked at another book, which led me on to more stats. And I read those stats, and my mind just, you know, fell all over the place. But um, Dr. Pearson once said this, "There there has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin 
in united prayer. He said, let me recount what God has done through concerted, united, sustained prayer. So this is what I was thinking this is the first time, but as we go back to history, in 19, or sorry, in 1776, the American Revolution, this is when our country was founded. And you think they would be partying going, this is epic, our life is awesome, we got some freedom, but that's not what happened. Here's what happened. Out of a population, there was the largest moral slump they'd ever seen. Uh, it was called the drunkenness that became epidemic. Out of a population of 5 million, 300,000 were confirmed drunkards, men. Profanity was the most shocking kind. For the first time in the history of the American settlement, women were afraid to go out at night for fear of assault. Bank robberies were on the daily. Okay? So what about the churches? The Methodists were losing more members than they were gaining. The Baptists said that they had their most wintry season. The Presbyterians in general assembly deplored the nation's most ungodliness. In typical congregational church, the Reverend Samuel Shepard of Massachusetts in 16 years had not taken one young person into fellowship, meaning not one young person in 16 years gave their life to Christ. The Lutherans were so uh, languishing that they discussed uniting with the Episcopalians, who were even worse off. The Protestant Episcopalian Bishop of New York, Samuel Provost, quit functioning. He had confirmed no one for so long that he decided he was out of work, so he took up other employment. This was in 1776, when America was founded, the church was nowhere. The two liberal arts colleges at one time, a poll taken at Harvard had discovered not one believer was in their entire student body. They took a poll at Princeton and a much more uh, evangelical place. What is that? I feel like John just, uh, yeah, evangelical, thank you, place where they just, and I graduated high school, that's so weird, (laughs) where they discovered only two believers in the entire student body of Princeton. They helped a mock communion at Williams College Um, they did this. The only five that did not belong to the filthy uh, speech movement, so they said the entire uh, Princeton College was a part of this filthy speech, all but five, and of the five, two were Christians. They burned down Nassau Hall at Princeton. They forced the resignation of the president of Harvard, cancer culture. They took Bible out of every local Presbyterian church in New Jersey, and they burnt it in a public bonfire. Christians were so few on campus in the 1790s that they met in secret like a communist cell, and they kept their minutes in code that no one would ever know. Where are we today? It's amazing that there once was a time in this country where the moral decline, the moral fabric was so far lost that Christians were giving up. And yet it's amazing today I hear history starting to repeat itself. But let me tell you, let me tell you what happened. This guy talked about a book, and I looked it up, downloaded it, and I got through the 10 keys. It's called A Powerful Prayer Life by Gregory Fizzle, F-R-I-Z-Z-E-L-L. And he gave my synopsis is 10 things that brought revival to this nation, and I want to share with you what those 10 things were. We need to figure out what's going to bring revival now. There is a formula. Why would we try to recreate it? It has to come back to the first three that we talked about through concerted, united, sustained prayer. So what are we going to pray for at Awakened Church? 
okay? And I'm going to give you some verses to back it up, and then we're going to talk about what wisdom that we need to handle in our life right now. It doesn't matter where you're at in your walk, but it does matter that we rise up as a church, that we lead the way. There are churches every week that reach out to us says, because of you, we opened our church. Because of you, we started a prayer meeting. Because of you, there's revival. Because of what your church is doing. See, some of you don't understand what's going on. Over in Havasu, I didn't see one mask. I didn't, there was freedom in Havasu. All the way down, I came across down to Blythe on the river, and I got gas on one side because it was like $3 cheaper. It was amazing. I could pay $2.85 or like $4.29. You do the math. I'm not a mathematician, okay? So I drove across, and then I said, oh, there's a pizza place over here. I was just getting gas freedom on this side. I went 400 feet over a bridge, pulled on over here to this little pizza place, and they walked in. It was like death stairs. We got our pizza. I'm like, I ain't going in there. I'm like, are you serious right now? I've been in freedom for the last four days. I'm going to walk over here, and you're going to mass shame me? Whether you wear it or not, I'm not going to shame anybody, but I don't need to be shamed. So I walk in there, and the guy, finally I found out he's the owner. I own restaurants here in California. And I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I'm having to work. All my employees went to jobs across the river. Yeah, why do you think? Oh, yeah, it's a lot more free over there. Well, why don't you make a stand? I'm too afraid. This is my livelihood. I'm like, so you're just going to be in fear? They're going to give you the crumbs off the table? What are you going to take? And he goes, yeah, you're right. You're right. Where do you live? I live in San Diego, the home of the free. Just where you live in California, it's your decision. You got to rise up. And he goes, all right. I'm like, just listen to our church on podcast. You need some help over here. Just needed some faith. You need an injection of other people around him. He's losing all the employees. It's amazing. On one side of the river, it looked like a dead town. Right across the river, it was lively. Death and life. 400 feet away. What are we going to do? So let me tell you, here it is. Number one, ask God to bring deep conviction of sin, spiritual brokenness, and holy fear of God, and genuine repentance among his people. There will be no revival without these elements, and only God can produce them in his people. We cannot program or work up genuine brokenness and repentance. 2 Corinthians uh, 7 to 10. Write this verse down. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. If you buy into what the world culture is teaching us, it will produce death. But there is a Jesus that's given us life and life to the full. That's liberty, life and the pursuit of happiness. If we don't start living with our godly inalienable rights, we are going to be those miserable Christians in bondage, and that's not going to bring revival. Number two, a deep, a pray for deep cleansing, genuine repentance, and spiritual power to engulf pastors and Christian leaders. Revival and spiritual awakening are extremely unlikely without mighty move of God in pastors and Christian leaders. Renewed pastors are absolutely crucial to a move of God in our day. Ephesians 6, 14 through 20 says, standing therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking up the shield of faith with which you were able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is a spiritual warfare for our country. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but one of spirit. You can all be praying for pastors in America to put on that shield of faith and make a stand. We need you to be praying for every pastor. You know, we're just all people too, and we are not, you know, 
It's like, oh, yeah, you're a pastor? Okay, you're free from sin. No, no, no. New levels, new devils, people. Tell my wife, we got to watch who we put in our circle. Not everybody in your circle is in your corner. We found that out the hard way. Okay, well, thank you for the four claps. We needed that. Pray for your pastors. Thank you. <clears throat> Why do we need to do that? Listen, I respect, I respect. I just had a pastor call me yesterday, and he said, hey, will you pray for me? Hey, will you pray for me? And I said, absolutely. What's going on? He goes, I had a couple drinks. My wife is away. I just felt a check in my spirit. You know how much, how much ego had to get smashed for him to call me? Do you know the pride that he had to crush for him to call me? I said, bro, just the fact that you didn't hang up when you heard my voice, you've already won that thing. He didn't do anything stupid. He just felt a check in his spirit because that could lead to something if you don't check yourself before you wreck yourself. And he just knew, I'm going to call someone. And he, I said, why did you call me? You could have called anybody. He says, because I see how you live your life, and I didn't think you were going to judge me. But I needed to have somebody, and I was so afraid. I dialed your number three times. And I said, the minute you confess that, you broke the power of the enemy. Do you know how important that is? Listen, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or just another man or a woman. We all need accountability. You've got to have somebody to call. We all have a Paul, and we all need a Timothy. Who are you mentoring and who are you being, who can you call to confess that thing no matter how hard it is? And guess what? If you hear the voice say, oh yeah, you don't need to do that. You need to tell that voice to shut up and finish that phone call. And the minute it loses all power, the grip of the enemy was lost the minute I prayed for him. And I felt the Holy Spirit just come through that phone. Boom. He texts me later and he goes, that was so powerful. I feel so free. I have joy in my life where he's feeling a little condemnation and not from Christ. He had already repented. He did, you know, it's like what most people do. Lord, I messed up, blah, blah, blah. But he just said, no, I had to check in my spirit, and I want accountability with that. Man, we prayed. Powerful. Those are the pastors that I want to get in alignment with. Those are the friendships that we need in life. We can't be Christianese acting like we got it all together. We're never slipping up and like, oh, no, no, I didn't scuff my shoe. I didn't slip up. We all fall short. And the minute we realize that is the bait of Satan, to trip you up and let your ego rise up, to let your pride rise up, then we are stuck. And if you are stuck, there cannot be revival. I want to be the freedom in this house. When we have an altar down here, there is no shame in your game if you're walking down to the altar to get prayed for. Matter of fact, I look to see, man, when I saw one of my worship guys get off the stage and him and his wife got prayer, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about right there. I don't want any of my worship leaders to have pride like they couldn't set down their guitar. I want them to live in freedom. I want every one of my people to live in freedom. If I see one of my pastors, heck, I might be up on the altar. I want to make sure that I'm checking myself before I'm wrecking myself. That's why we do this. Pray for your pastors. Number three, pray for God to bestow spiritual hunger in his people and draw them to fervent intercession. It says right here in uh, Philippians 2.13, in the first service that was uh, the Philippines, but for God who works in both, <laughs> in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Number four, pray for God will bring loving unity in our churches and deep harmony between church. We are the Big C Church looking for other churches in San Diego that we're going to open up together. We're going to draw a line in the sand. We're going to get healed together. We're going to navigate this thing in a state we love. Why would we give up? Why would we sign? We need to be praying that the church would unite on what we do believe. And you know what we do believe in? Jesus. John 13, 35 says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples 
if you have love for one another. Let's get the church loving on one another. That's what we need to be doing. Number five, pray for God to fill his people with the passion to see people saved. Go read nine, uh, Romans 9, 1 through 3. I love the, uh, the passion translation. It says, oh, Israel, my Jewish family, I feel such great sorrow and heartache for you that never leaves me. God knows these deep feelings within me as I long for you to come to faith in the anointed one. My conscience will not let me speak anything but the truth. Let us be a church of truth. Number six, pray for God to give his people passion for missions and starting churches. That's how great revivals explode is because the mission. We are the mission to this city. We have missionaries, and Pastor, you're going to land, that were sent from Australia. They could have gone anywhere in Australia and already had a huge church. They came here, and they knew nobody. And now we have five, six campuses, and you're about to see 16 of them. And we're going to keep putting, building altars, keep taking territory, keep raising up pastors, keep raising up preachers, keep raising up worship leaders that get up and worship. Look it, we already saw a young kid get up and worship today. I was so proud of that kid. And he was bold. Come on. That's true. Number seven, pray that. God will call thousands into ministries, missions, and Christian service. Many churches are dying for lack of soul winners, teachers, and church workers. Matthew 9, 37, it says this. For he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Who's he calling on today? What stirs your spirit? Don't let the devil take you out. Number eight, pray that God will pour out his spirit like a mighty purifying flood. Ask God to purify our motives as we pray for revival. After all it is possible to pray for revival for selfish or ambitious reasons, we cancel those in the name of Jesus. I love James 4 too. It says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot attain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you ask not. We want to be the church that asks. You have not because you. You have not because you. Why aren't we asking for revival? Why aren't we asking for breakthrough? Why aren't we asking? Listen, it's got to start in our families. We need revival in our families. You don't worry about it. I'll take care of the men this weekend, okay? But after the men come back, cherish ladies, you get your cherish on. And then we got Empower Conference coming in July, and you better get ready for it. It's the rise of the prophets. We're bringing in prophets from around the nation to come prophesy and unlock some things over a ceiling that maybe we don't see. So I hope you're getting ready for a power move like you've never seen, but we got to get, get our men right. Then we got marriage retreat. We're going to get our marriages right, and then we're going to go on and get only a couple claps right there. Okay, okay. I'd say sign up for marriage retreat, but it sold out in one day, so... Can't do that. Number nine, pray for a mighty move of conviction and salvation upon communities of cultural influence. First Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, I exhort first that all of the supplications of prayers, the intercessories, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all who are those in authority. Listen, we're going to raise up kings. If you've never been to men's prayer, come this Tuesday. I don't care if you come for the burritos I'm buying you. I don't come if you come for the free coffee. I'm just saying come and get around men that know how to pray. I love Joe's testimony that he talked about who he became over the last five years. He leads like a boss. He prays. How we lead our families, how we do anything is how we do everything. And it doesn't matter how you come in. I don't care if you come in timid or shy. Our job is to equip you and disciple you and armor you up. Listen, my brother, I had the older, older brother thing, okay? So I would just beat on my brother because I was bigger. And then one day, my brother got big, and he was stronger than me. And he would come up to me. I'm like, I had a twinkle in my eye, and I said, don't look at me like that. 
I don't care how big you are. And I throw him up against the wall and I put the fear of the older brother love in him. And he'd look at me and he's like, man, you got that old man strength. I'm like, yeah, you bet I do. You bet I do. But then he went on and he went through SEALs training and he went through some other trainings and and then he went through some, I don't know what this survival course is, number one, and Sears, number two. And then, anyways, he came back for Christmas, and we were sitting there talking, and he was piping off to me, and I said, don't make me get out of my chair. So I went up, and I threw him up against the wall, and I said, don't talk to me like that. And he goes, I'm going to give you three seconds to get your hand off my shirt, and if it's wrinkled, you're going to pay for it. I said, do you think I'm going to let you talk to me? And I looked right in his eye like I always did. And then all of a sudden, I saw a twinkle in his eye. And I said, I'm going to let go of you right now. And you're not going to touch me. Dad, get in here just in case. And I backed up going, man, I lost that older brother thing. But it's a real thing. And as man, when you come into the house, I need there to be a little a little warrior chip on your shoulder that you're not going to tolerate the stuff going on in your house. You're not going to tolerate the stuff in your, in your business. You're not going to tolerate the stuff in your workplace that you're going to get a little righteousness in you. You're going to pray a little bit differently. You're going to get a little authority up in y'all and we're going to take some territory together and we're going to say, you're not messing with our country, with our state. We're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to back down and we're not going to tolerate this anymore. And number 10 is this. And then I'm going to land this with what's important here. It says, specifically pray for God to pour out his spirit in a fashion even greater than he did in America in 1858 and in Wales in 1904. 10% of Wales' population was saved in literally five months. Because of that, revival broke out in America because of what was going on over there. I want to tell you that what happened over in Britain with William Carey, Andrew Fuller, and John Sutcliffe, and other leaders that I'm talking about, that's why they don't want you to read that book I put on there, that a revival started to stir, and it came to America. And I want to tell you what happened in the second great awakening. What's amazing that this thing in New York, this one famous editor, he was a business guy. And he said, you know what? I'm putting out an ad and I need to start a prayer meeting. He put out this ad and only six people showed up. Then he said, all right, guys, don't worry about it. Six can change the world. 17 came a week later. Within just a few months, 6,100 men were attending. Then a landslide of prayer began, which overflowed to the churches in the evenings. People began to be converted 10,000 a week in New York City alone. The movement spread throughout New England. The church bells bringing people to prayer at 8 in the morning, 12 noon, and 6 in the evening. The revival raced up the Hudson, down the Mohawk, where the Baptists, for example, had so many people to baptize that they went down to the river, cut a big hole in the ice, and baptize them in cold water. When Baptists do that, you know they're on fire. <laughs> Revival went all the way to Chicago. A young shoe salesman went to the superintendent of the congregational church, and he said, hey, I want to teach a Sunday school. The superintendent said, I'm sorry, young man. I got too many teachers already. And he goes, but I have to. I got to share the news, the gospel. He says, go down and find some inner city boys in Chicago. They're crazy, so don't bring them here. But go take them out somewhere, disciple them. So he took them over to Lake Michigan. He poured into them. 
told them Bible verses. They studied Bible verses. They played little Jesus games, whatever those look like. And then he brought them back. He brought them back to that church. And he said, who are, who are these kids? That young man, I love it, was Dwight L. Moody. 40 years in the ministry because of that one act. But he never knew it was from a guy that took out an ad that got six men. Those six men turned into 17. Those 17 turned into 6,100. And those 6,100 flipped that whole Eastern board upside down where it got all the way to Chicago. And one man, Dwight L. Moody, started a revival in colleges because of the power of prayer. What's going to come up out of here? See, some of you, we've been compromising some core values. We know something's a little off. We've had some culture telling us how to live. We know it's not in alignment with truth, in alignment with freedom, in alignment with our religious beliefs, in alignment with what is right. And I'm telling you, the only way to change it is through prayer revival. You and me coming together, praying for one another, praying for our families, starting in our home, getting our home right, getting our life right, getting our marriage right, getting our kids right, getting this church right, getting this community right, getting this city right, getting this state right, getting this country right. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. All right, I need to help. I, I feel like we're almost there. Yeah, this is what happened. Let me give you the social impact because you're not, you're not picking up what I'm putting down. Just real quick and then I'm going to land the flight. The social impact was so astounding. For examples, judges were presented with white gloves, not a case to try. No robberies, no burglaries, no rapes, no murders, no embezzlements, nothing in New York City. District councils held emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed. Huh, you think we need that right now? In one place, the sergeant police was sent for and asked, what do we do with, what do you do with your time? He replied, before the revival, we had two main jobs, to prevent crime and control crowds at these different games. But since the revival had started, there is practically no crime. So we just go with the crowds. The council asked, the council member asked, what does that mean? The sergeant replied, you know where the crowds are. They're packing out the churches, but how does that affect the police? He was told, we have 17 police in our station, but we have three quartets. And if any church wants a quartet and sing, they simply call the police station now. (laughs) The revival swept. Drunkenness was cut in half. There was a wave of bankruptcies, but converted and stopped using bad language. And those horses that dragged the coal trucks into the mines could not understand what was being said because they weren't cursing. The, The wave of bankruptcies, by the way, it was just the taverns. That's the power of prayer, people. God can do it again. James 1, 5 through 8, and the Passion Translation says this, and then we'll pray. And if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom, and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace. Just make sure you ask empowered by confident faith without doubting, and you will receive. For the ambivalent person, which means having mixed feelings about something, believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and tossed down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. 
Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in that condition? God wants to give us wisdom as a church today. He wants to give you wisdom in your marketplace, in your family, in your relationships. Let him give you wisdom. See, I don't wanna come up here and just give you information. More information isn't gonna help the church. Information with wisdom leads to revelation. When you have a personal revelation of Jesus and what Jesus is trying to do in your life, that revelation leads to transformation. If we're gonna call ourselves the house of transformation, we need to be preaching wisdom that you take that information with the Holy Spirit, you have your own revelation and that revelation leads to transformation. Your transformation of your family matters to your neighborhood. That matters to your workplace. That matters to how you do life. We all have to live with a transformational purpose. Let that be where you're gonna land your plane today. But without Jesus, you won't get there. So I just wanna pray for everybody today. If you could just bow your heads and close your eyes, I wanna pray for you. Listen, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. Wisdom is the ability to differentiate between good from best. Discipleship plus wisdom is self-leadership. Self-leadership is how we lead our families, how we lead those people that are in our circles to make better choices. We can't do it without Jesus. We can never talk ourselves out of a problem we behaved ourselves into. You can only behave yourself out of a problem you behave yourself into. We have to change behavior, we do it through prayer. So listen, no matter how many shortcomings, the Bible says that we've all fallen short, that we've all sinned, which means we just missed the mark. I'm done with the devil shaming people so hardcore that they don't even come to church. You know, there's many people that woke up this morning, but they woke up in such shame over some decisions they made that they couldn't get their way here. Let's be the church that brings our neighbors to church. Let's be the church that brings our friends that we love to church, no matter what they're walking in, that we are the invitation. For those of you that have never given your life to Christ, or maybe you once did and you took it back, but you're like, that's it, I'm drawing a line in the sand. I need Jesus to show me the way. You wanna recommit your life to Christ. I just want you to raise your hand for me so I can pray for you. All throughout this building, right in the front row, man, thank you. Come on, right up there, I see your hand, top row, thank you. Right through here, I see the two hands, thank you, young lady. Thank you, right now. Over here, I see your hand. Come on. Such bright lights, I see there's hands up, I see your hand right up there, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just waiting on a few more. So important, listen, I know where I came from. There's no greater moment. Raising your hand doesn't get you into heaven, but saying this prayer does. Listen, can we all stand to our feet right now? I know I've gone over, but listen, being bold in the church, if we can't be bold here, we can't be bold anywhere. Raising your hand, it's about the decision you make in your heart, and God knows your heart. For those of you that didn't raise your hand because I moved too fast, listen right here. This is the guy that gave his testimony. Come on. I appreciate you. He's got a Bible and a book called Following Jesus. I have a whole response team that wants to pray with you. 
I don't want you to leave here the same way you walked in. I have a little room over here. It's a big room, actually. It's awesome. We want to give you a Bible. We want to look after you. We want to pray with you. I'm also going to open up the altar because if you guys have been dealing with some stuff in your life, this is where your life gets altered. I want you to come out after I'm done praying for everybody. Come out and come receive prayer, whether it's for marriage, business, finances, or because you gave your life to Jesus. We want to pray with you, look after you, get some details. Disciple you. That's real discipleship. Some seed falls on hard ground and we don't want it to be you make a decision and you leave here and we're not looking after you. Great discipleship is that we're good shepherds that we look after you. But we're gonna pray this prayer. Maybe you've said it before, maybe you haven't. I want us to all pray this prayer. Get our heart in alignment. Let God break out revival in this house. He can do it. Why not start right here? We got more than six people with the first guy started with. We're, we're well on our way to some good stuff already. Believe it, not for 6,100, but why not 61,000? I'm the only one excited about that. For those of you who raised your hand, let's pray this prayer. I want everyone to pray it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I thank you that I am forgiven. I repent and I ask you to show me the way. Let the rest of my life be the best of my life. Thank you that I've already won, that I have victory, that my eternity is secure. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.